0: Before the show, a quick word from our sponsor.
1: What is up Bitcoiners? It's CK and I'm here to talk to you about the Bitcoin 2021 conference this June in sunny Miami, Florida. It is gonna be June 4th and 5th, and we are barreling towards a sold out conference. Already one third of our available tickets have been sold and way more than half of our whale passes have been sold. We are almost sold out completely on the whale pass. We have amazing speakers, Jack Dorsey, Chamath, Nick Zabo, Tony Hawk, Peter Todd, many, many more, and many more to be announced. You can go to the website to check them all out. Mayor Suarez has welcomed us into the city with open arms. And again, tickets are flying off the shelves. Seriously, I see the feed and like I've done many conferences. This one is, is really has some something going for it. And honestly, guys, like after all this, after 2020, Bitcoiners want to grab a beer, hang out. We're bringing back Bitcoin 2019 vibes times 10, prices times 10. Let's go. Use promo code SATOSHI, all caps, SATOSHI, for 10% off. You can go to the website b.tc backslash conference. Again, that is b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket today. Today, prices also are going up and, hey, we may just sell out. So we have a hard cap. Can't really be flexible there. Don't wait.
0: Live from Utrecht. This is the fan weirdom show's sure Hello. Hello. Hey,
2: who's there? It's another Dutch guy. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Thank you. Welcome back, Ruben. Ruben, did you start selling your tweets yet? Uh, you know, like I tried to sell one of my tweets to my sister, but she said, "What the hell are you doing?" And then she just laughed at me. So um, I failed. Yeah. What was
3: it which rule of acquisition is it? Exploitation begins at home.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, families who you gotta exploit first, right? <laughs> Shorts, did you make any good deals? Uh no. We are actually gonna discuss NFTs today. I have been making some really bad price
3: predictions because I hope those tweets will become worth a lot.
0: Bad price predictions?
3: Yeah, bad takes usually make more money than good takes. Mm. Ah,
0: I didn't know that. That's a good tip. Pro tips. <laughs> but anyways, we are kind of discussing NFTs today, aren't we? Yes, we are. Not exactly, but partly.
3: Very exactly. Amongst other things.
0: Yeah. RGB, that's what it's called, right? That's right. That's right. I, I, I <laughs> jugged my memory there. What does it stand for, guys? RGB.
3: Well, I think it's just a reference to the color scheme, red, green, blue. Yeah. But it doesn't actually mean anything in the context that we're going to talk about it. It's just the letters.
2: Yeah. And I, I think it's because...
3: Unless they made it a backronym. I don't know.
2: No, no. I don't think there's an acronym. It's, it's referring to colored coins, right? So the colored coin idea of, of having other coins on the Bitcoin blockchain... The word color, RGB, that's how it's connected. I'm Clever. That.
0: I didn't know that. Okay, so we're going to discuss RGB tokens today. Wait, is, is it RGB? R- the RGB system. The RGB system. Yeah. Okay, where do we start, Ruben?
3: Well, that's a good question. I think we should start with the very, very long time ago in a uh, blockchain far away. It was really, really, really cheap to make transactions and people thought they could put everything on the blockchain. For example, the Bitcoin PDF the Bitcoin white paper, Mm -hmm. is on the blockchain in its entirety. And this was done in a very, very, very inefficient way, which is by creating fake transactions. And those fake transactions, so you're not spending to real other people, to real addresses, you're creating fake addresses that you can actually interpret and then you can reconstruct a file from it. So this would be, for example, multi-sig addresses.
0: So, yeah so th- the idea is that addresses as our listeners will probably know they're just a bunch of numbers and letters they're effectively a number in the end and by i guess you're manipulating these addresses you're just creating addresses even though you don't have the private key yeah and you're sending some coins to these and then special software can interpret these numbers and turn them into yeah, Whatever data day you want.
3: Pretty much. So we addressed addresses in an earlier episode. But in this case, the thing you're sending to wouldn't even be an address. It's it's a script that you put directly in the output of a transaction. And that gives you a lot of space to put stuff in. The, the technicalities don't really matter, but exactly. there There is no private key with which to spend these coins because the public key, or even the hash of the... Probably the public key was generated as if it wasn't really a public key. It was just a, a series of bytes that look like a public key but actually just contain the contents of a file. Yeah. And this means that money is unspendable, which is very annoying. And the reason for that is that coins uh, we, we have this thing called the UTXO set. And the UTXO set is the set of coins that exist on the blockchain that can be spent by anyone, and that and nodes keep that in RAM. So when you're spending uh, when a new block comes in, the uh, node will check whether or not it's spending money that actually exists. And this check is done using the UTXO set, which generally is kept in RAM, could be 10 gigabytes. And so it's very annoying when there's something in that blob of memory that everybody needs to keep track of that has no meaning, that can never be spent. Because the node doesn't know it can't be spent. The node just thinks anytime somebody could spend this, even though we know no, it's the Bitcoin PDF, you can't spend it.
0: Yeah, so what you're saying so far is that people were using basically abusing the bitcoin system in a way they were manipulating addresses and sending coins to these addresses not a lot but just some coins to have these addresses on the blockchain and that translated into data that could be images or the bitcoin white paper or other pieces of text or memes or whatever people felt like they were uploading and because normal bitcoin software can't really tell the difference normal bitcoin software just sees addresses So now all these normal Bitcoin nodes like mine and yours and all our listeners who are running Bitcoin nodes, they actually have to check if they have to check the the coins on these addresses. Am I saying that? They have
3: to keep those addresses in mind. So there's two things that happen, right? Right. Because these things were put in the blockchain, well, you have to download the blockchain. So that's just wasted bandwidth for downloading, but that's not too bad. The problem is that it has to be interpreted as potentially valid coins. And as an optimization, you want to keep in memory those coins that could potentially be spent, and there's no way to drop them from memory. Yeah, At so least there wasn't.
2: So the uh, yeah the the problem is that you think they are spendable as a regular full node, but actually they are not. Uh, but there's no way of knowing, other than kind of externally figuring out like, hey, this is just a white paper. But uh, you know, yeah,
3: the, but you couldn't you couldn't add that to the node, right? If if say we made a change to Bitcoin Core that says, you know what, we know that's the white paper. Let's just skip those coins. I, I well, guess theoretically you could throw it out of UTXO sets well, if you're certain they're unspendable. I, but That's the problem, if you're certain. Yeah. What if some really, really smart alien actually made yeah. it look like it's just the white paper, but no, 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 it's really, there are private keys for it. And one day this alien tries to spend the white paper, (laughs) and we accidentally soft forked those coins out of existence and this alien gets really angry because he's like, hey, you can't just confiscate my money.
2: That that sounds like an ECDSA break, but (laughs) I'm not sure. Depends on, I guess, how it's done. Um, Uh, Maybe
3: the person who created the white paper actually... Generated okay. lots of okay. lots of public okay. keys, you know, from private keys, and then reordered them in such a way that it created a readable white paper. Oh yeah, I, 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 I don't think that's uh, even practical. But no,
2: yeah. but uh, to, to your point, maybe uh, there is a way in which it is actually valid, and, and we can not be one hundred percent certain. But one thing I wanted to there's
0: add: there's also a thing of where do you draw the line because we do have vanity addresses, and you can sort of use that as well to yeah. create stuff. And where, at what point are you sure it's a vanity address, and at what point?
3: Well, this this would be like that would be absolutely unacceptable, right? So the idea that you can't just decide what is vanity and what should be thrown away—that's my point. I agree. Could, but if you could mathematically prove that a coin cannot be spent, like theoretically impossible to be spent, then you could have that discussion. But the problem is we can't really prove that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But yeah. So one thing uh, you know that I wanted to add is that it it is actually important that if you want to put data on the Bitcoin blockchain, it needs to be a valid transaction. So you can't just, that's why we're talking about these addresses, right? Because you can't just take the Bitcoin white paper, just put it there and just be like, hey, please put this in the blockchain. Uh, no, you need to do it in a format that the blockchain recognizes. And that's thats how you end up with these addresses.
0: Yeah. But this okay, so Yeah. Okay. So that was the original problem. People were just bloating the blockchain with all sorts of nonsense that most of us don't care about, and we still need to all validate it and store it or whatever. That needs to be solved, sure. How do we solve that?
3: Well, this was solved many, many years ago using something called op return. And the idea of op return is that you create a transaction that spends coins and then it produces a coin, quote unquote, which has the instruction op return, and then it's followed by whatever text you want to put in the blockchain. And now when a full node sees this, it knows, okay, if it starts with op return, this coin is not spendable. Therefore, yeah, this coin is not spendable, so I can forget about it. I do not have to put this in my RAM. I don't have to remember this. And the idea there was it was kind of a compromise. Say, well, people are going to put spam on the blockchain, whether we like it or not. Let's at least you know, reduce the amount of damage they're doing and make sure they pay like a reasonable fee for it as well. So there are some restrictions on the size of to to make sure that it's not too cheap to use it. But it is also cheaper than just spamming the blockchain.
0: Right. So I guess we're still sort of unhappy about it, but if people are gonna do it anyways, then this is the least damaging way yeah. of doing it.
3: Yeah, well this at least it pays fees when you do this. And notes nodes only have to download it, but they can throw it away. They don't have to remember it. So the resource uses the resource wasting is just a little bit of bandwidth and one off CPU, but it's not wasting people's RAM and RAM is probably one of the most scarce resources. Right. So it's it's fine. It can't be done any better.
2: yeah, so the, the the main thing is it doesn't enter the UTXO set and
0: therefore uh, it is a lot better than the previous solution. So how much data fits into one of these <laughs> up returns? Eighty bytes Yes and no
2: because I think that's a uh, um, that's not a consensus rule. That's just a propagation rule. so Could I believe be. I believe it's uh, actually valid to create one with more data, but then it won't be propagated. So yeah okay. practically speaking, you're right. But
0: can we do better? Can we compress it somehow?
3: Yeah, we could. No. Well, I mean, I think I know where you want to go towards the uh, the so called Merkle tree. Yes, please. But I think we want to go somewhere else first because we can talk about the kind of fun things you can put in Upper Turn that have meaning. Okay. Without actually compressing it. So we'll get to the compression part later. Okay. So let's say you really like Rare Pepe. I, don't I know I, know what, I do. So Rare Pepe was a trading card system on the blockchain. And the way it worked is you could you could have a card and then you could offer it for sale and somebody could buy it and then that other people would have the card and, and they could sell it, etc.
0: Yeah, when you say card you mean image. It's a digital image.
3: Yes, but in this case it's important to note that the image is not on the blockchain. There's a reference to the image on the blockchain the hash of the image Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't still not call that compression but i would say like you're not spamming the blockchain with the entire image
0: sure explain this to someone who's new because it sounds like it makes no sense at all you have an image and then you have a hash and then you have it on the blockchain why should people care about the hash or the image or any of this
3: Well, this is exactly what's going on with the NFT hype nowadays. That's that's (laughs) why I'm asking. So I would say there's no reason to care about this, but people were doing it. So we just have to sort of explain at least what they were doing. And so what you would do is you would have this image somewhere, maybe on a web server or maybe on your own computer. And so everybody would have access to this image because it's just data. But the question is who really owns the image? From whatever that means, right? Whatever it means to own the image.
0: That that sounds like an important question, though. What does that mean? It means. But go on.
3: I think it meant absolutely nothing. Right. But what the way it was done is like everybody would have the image, and you could take the hash of the image, and then the hash of the image would be on the on the blockchain. And so.
0: Well, let me let me uh, give you an example where I think it might make sense, possibly. If you're playing something, I've never played this, but you've got something like Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. If you'd want to make that into a digital version, then you could somehow prove that you own a specific card if you want to play it against another player. Well, if it's just an image, then everyone would have all the cards all the time. So now if you use.
3: Well, that's the idea. Yeah. You prove that you have the image, whatever having means.
0: Right. Uh, But at least if everybody
3: agrees on the rules, then, then you can do that.
0: Right. So, you, yeah. So within some contexts, it might actually make some sense.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I
2: think it does make sense in some limited contexts. But the, the main thing is, is there going to be some kind of person who controls the NFT, right? If, if somebody issued it or they can issue more of it, then it becomes kind of questionable. But if it's like a one-time thing, like, you know, maybe somebody made a card game and it's just, it's kind of like a full node where you download the, the software. It's open source And then the software interprets the nfts and as long as everybody kind of agrees on the card game and the nfts then uh, you have a card game with like you said with cards that are actually rare Uh, but you know anyone can just take the same game and play it for free right so that's that's always inevitable
3: which is pretty much how this counterparty slash where peppy system worked as far as i know so basically you would put on the blockchain the hash of the image probably and then you would say well I'm now transferring this to this other person by just sending them coins, essentially. And then whoever has the private key of where you sent the card has, is now the new owner. And so w- you would have a piece of software that would read the blockchain and would see, okay, this card is now moved to this other person and it's moved again.
0: Yeah, I want to take a small step back. And Ruben, this is also something you wanted to discuss, mm-hmm. is the idea of colored coins. And so we already mentioned it in, this, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So the idea of Ruben colored coins, can you explain what colored coins are and then we'll move on, then we'll move back to NFTs and-
2: Yeah, so so, well, it it is very similar because a a NFT is a colored coin of one, basically. So it really is just uh, the issuance of an asset. The the name colored coin has been kind of uh, what's been used. I think it's been maybe Counterparty was the first, or, or no, Counterparty no, col- is not a
0: col- colored point. Colored coins predate Counterparty,
2: yeah. Uh, ma- there's Master Coin. I, I don't know, but but I,
0: the- I can give you an example of a
3: colored coin if you want, but well, let's well, explain how it works. Uh, well, yeah, okay.
2: But, uh, I mean, are you saying that Counterparty doesn't have colored coins? Because I think technically they do. You could issue
3: coins. Counterparty can do colored coins, among other things. Yeah. But colored coins was a system on its own. I see. Okay. Okay. So the example I I once uh, even used, I think, was called Bits of Bullion. And what this was, was there was a trust, like a a UK or whatever Cayman Islands uh, structure, probably Gibraltar. And this trust owned gold in the real world. And then this trust had had basically had its own bylaws and it would define the beneficiaries of the trust. So the nice thing about a trust is like nobody really owns the trust. The trust simply exists. And it you, you create it and you set it in motion and then it kind of just exists out there. It's kind of a cool legal structure. But basically this trust would own gold. And then there would be an instruction in the bylaws of the trust that says, well, there's this colored coin out there on the blockchain with this and this block hash or this and this transaction hash. And whoever owns descendants of this original transaction is actually a beneficiary of the, of the trust legally. And so is entitled to that gold to be able to redeem it if they wanted to.
2: Right, so, so what you're saying is basically that the, there is a, a UTXL on the Bitcoin blockchain and somebody basically said like, hey, if you own parts of the coins that are in here, then you also have ownership over something else.
3: Yeah, so for example, they might start with 10,000 Satoshis and they would say every satoshi represents 1 gram of bullion in this specific vault, you know, at Brinks. And then if you were to buy this gold, you could you could basically go to whatever an exchange, you would send the right amount of bitcoin or fiat, and then they would send you 30 satoshis, now you would own 30 grams of gold. Yeah. So and the, if you yeah. send those exact same 30 satoshis back, you could redeem it. But you could also send those 30 satoshis to somebody else.
2: Yeah, so, so the coins, the Satoshis were colored, basically. So it's what, what the yes. where the naming comes from, exactly. right? Exactly.
3: And this is very, very brittle, because you need to use a special wallet that understands these coins and, yeah. and keeps them separate. If you put those Satoshis in a regular wallet, it doesn't understand it. It will just spend it. Yeah. And your entire scheme, you just destroyed your gold. But this really existed, yeah, the, so it's kind of cool. 2014 or 2015.
0: Yeah, the analogy I used when I tried to explain this to people is uh, imagine you're organizing like a small festival and you're taking, you go to the bank and you get a a whole bunch of pennies. You Mm -hmm. put special stickers on the pennies. Oh, yeah. And at the festival, you can use these pennies with the special stickers and they're worth a beer, right? Yeah. If you walk out of the festival with the pennies, then they're still worth a penny, but only a penny.
3: Yeah. And if you accidentally like try to give somebody a euro, you know, 100 pennies, then you're screwed because you actually just gave them 100 beers.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if that person knows how to get back to the festival, at least. So yeah, you're, give, you're giving a new meaning to the Satoshis on the Bitcoin blockchain. That's what colored coins are. Yes. And then we just discussed Rare Peppy and, and Peppy Cash and all that. And they did something similar, but they used up return and it works technically in a bit of a different way, right?
3: Yeah, very much differently. So the colored coins really just use Bitcoin's normal transaction mechanism you just combine these satoshis and move them around but the Rare Pepe, um used a, more like mm. a series of instructions so the i think i think two things that i guess it used right a series of instructions where you could say create a new asset and do something with it but also if the asset moved on the blockchain i guess it would also move i've never really studied it in enough detail to completely unless
2: yeah I'm not entirely certain whether or not Satoshis were moving and they had meaning inside of counterparty. I thought it did, but I'm not certain. I'm
0: pretty sure that's not the case. I think they just used the data from the op returns and that data just meant something else within the counterparty context. Mm.
3: Yeah, but at least the new owner was probably done using who got the coins. Like which private key received what? I'm not sure how they would do it. Yeah, maybe they would have the transaction might have two outputs, and one output would be opreturn, and the other would go to some address. And then I don't know. Somebody the <laughs> source code. It doesn't yeah. matter because yeah. uh, there's something new and better.
0: RGB. That's what the episode is about. That's right. I think that's where we we are now. We discussed return, colored coins, the other thing, counterparty. Yeah. And that was all to get to RGB. That's right. George, what is RGB?
3: Oh, do I have to explain it? Ruben, <laughs> I Ruben was going to explain it. <laughs> okay, so with RGB,
2: there, there, it's a very similar system in the sense that we still have these these tokens that are being generated and they're being moved on the Bitcoin blockchain. But what we're doing here is we're we're using the existing UTXOs as kind of a vessel for which we kind of we we add the coins there and we move the coins there. So let's say I have a UTXO and I have some RGB tokens in there. Well, first I would have to generate them, but but let's skip that for a second. So there's an output, it's mine, there are uh, maybe there's ten USD Tether RGB tokens in there. When you say in there, yeah. do you mean what do you mean? Somehow, and that is of course like so there needs to be some kind of genesis moment, right, where the tokens were generated. So the whole point of this system is that it allows you to create tokens and then spend them. And so first the uh, USD tether people would have to issue. Uh, this token. And and generally, the way that's done in RGB is actually you do use an op-return. So first, there's going to be a transaction. The transaction has an op-return so everybody can kind of see it, and that, that transaction says, hereby, I, I declare that now, inside of this new UTXO, there are just $1 million worth of USD tether.
3: Yeah, and this is actually where your, well, hash at least comes, comes up, because what is in the op-return, as far as I know, is a hash of a JSON file. So anybody yeah. who has the JSON file will know what the hash th- that the hash refers to it, and they can then read the JSON file and, and see what the supply is and what the rules are for whatever asset has been created.
0: A, a JSON file is just text, right? It's just text. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. With annoying brackets and, you know.
2: So, okay, so now we have a UTXO with $1 million in their USD Tether dollars IOUs, and when they first sent them to you know a buyer, somebody who says, OK, I'll give you $1,000. So you give me $1,000 worth of these these coins. So the first thing is what, what RGB does is client-side validation, meaning that the JSON file that Shorts just pointed out needs to be transferred during the coin transfer. So as soon as these coins, they move from one owner to the next owner, you also have to provide all the data which refers to the hash that you put in, in the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. Right,
3: So So, the first person who buys the tether basically has to receive an email and inside that email should be the JSON file. And I guess also a proof that, you know, they now own the coins. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. So that's the big difference compared to colored coins and counterparty is that now we have a separate layer essentially of JSON file texts that are also being sent around. And they're being linked to in the Bitcoin blockchain. Is that right? Yeah, and this yep. also
3: detaches the amount from the amount that's really being moved from the amount of Satoshis that's being moved. So yes, you're making a transaction. But I think
0: that was already the case for counterparty.
3: Yeah, for counterparty it is, but for color coins it wasn't. Yeah, right? Right. For color coins the Satoshis really mattered. Yeah. But in the case of RGB, you're just sending somebody a transaction and then along with the transaction an email with what's actually happening. And that transaction might move one Satoshi or a thousand Satoshis it doesn't really matter. The instructions are are separate, are not on the chain. Right. So,
2: okay, so we have this one output with $1 million worth of USD tether, and now they want to send $1,000 to somebody else. So what they do is they take that output and they spend it, and they send it to another output. And it's it's still owned by the same USD tether people who issued the first $1 million. But inside of that output, there is going to be, basically, there is a, a public key there that is the person who owns the UTXO. And inside of that, there is uh, through some cryptographic uh, trickery that's very similar to Taproot. They add another hash inside of this new UTXO. And inside of this new hash, there they point to an output where they want a certain amount of these coins to move. So they would point to, in the case let's say I was buying $1,000 worth of USD Tether, I would have to give an output to uh, the Tether people. And then when they spend their outputs, they will point back to me with the committed data and they say, okay, now $1,000 are inside of Ruben's UTXL.
0: Who else can read this? Can I read this? How do I know this transfer happens? So this
2: is a hidden transfer in the sense that it's a commitment that's hidden inside of the public key. So it, it is literally the USD tether, tether people need to show the commitment to me so I can open a commitment they can open a commitment and I can show the commitment to you and I can prove that I have a thousand of these USD Tether coins. And that's what I would have to do if I, let's say, want then sent $100 to you, Aaron, then I would have to show that data. And that is the, the entire story of the client-side validation. The entire history of the coin, in this case, the coins were created, then the coins were sent to me. I would have to show that entire history to you and once you see the history and you're, you're satisfied, you see like, okay, yeah, this is correct. Ruben does have uh, 1,000 of these USDT Tether coins. Uh, only then will you accept a- another 100 from me.
3: And, and this is kind of nice because it creates a really selective privacy thing. So yeah, Aaron, you can see that you really got the 100 because you, you get all the history. You need to confirm that. So from the 1,000,000, you see that 1,000 was sent to Ruben. And from that 1,100 was sent to you. You can see all that. But... What happened to the rest of that one million you cannot see. So I I guess the only thing you'll be able to see is that, you know, one million minus one thousand was sent somewhere else. So it wasn't like increased, but you can't see what happened after that. So you get a you know, the you can imagine history as a giant tree of, of transactions, but you only get everything that leads to your little branch in the universe. Yeah.
0: Right. So this sounds like we're making well, not I'm not making anything. The RGB people are making an entirely different cryptocurrency system that's being anchored in the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Yeah, yeah I guess, yeah. So yeah. I I think this already came up with, but how are, you? did you mention this off-chain part of it, the JSON files, are these actually sent through email? Is that actually how it works or what is the?
3: You can do whatever you want, but I believe there is a little like do-it-yourself web server that comes with it. And if you run that do-it-yourself web server, then your special wallet will actually know that it needs to send certain files to that web server and it needs to fetch certain files from that web server in order to make sense of just the UTXOs. Yeah. So it can all be automated, right? In essence, when you're using it, at least if the software is developed all the way to being nice, you would just say, I'm going to send 1,000 data to... Uh, you know, you, you have 100, uh, Aron, so you're going to send me 10. And... You just click, you know, I give you an address, you click copy-paste the address, and you enter the, the number 10, you click send, and it just works. Uh, on your end, your wallet is uploading certain files to a server that has all the proofs, and on my end, it's actually fetching files files from the server to see all those proofs. Yeah. And in the case of it, something like Tether, I guess it would make sense for the Tether Corporation to to be hosting that server, because in the end, they're the, they decide what happens anyway, right? They're the counterparty, so you're already trusting them. So it doesn't matter that they also hold some data, which, as far as I know, they can't really decode. So it's still kind of nice from a privacy point of view. Right.
2: But, yeah, but it is important that you you save your own data, right? Because when I received one thousand dollars, then maybe maybe you know Tether has that data as well, and I have the data. But if the Tether company then starts to stops cooperating now i can't spend it without their without the data right that they were holding for me so i don't i need to hold my own data i need to make sure that i have my entire history so at the very least you know maybe if tether cooperates great you can you can get the data through them uh, but if they don't cooperate i need to then go and and show my data to you
3: yeah exactly it just means your backup is more than just a your twelve words or your twenty-four yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. You the hit- need the other data too, right? The
2: history is basically your your
0: coin. If you don't have the history, you don't have your coins. Yeah, got it. This does sound like for every tether transfer transaction. I guess that's the example we we decided to run with. <laughs> for every tether transaction in this RGB system, we need a Bitcoin transaction. Yeah. So the, the amounts right?
3: the amounts don't have to match, and it doesn't the Bitcoin itself doesn't have to go from person to person. But you do need a unique Bitcoin transaction for every uh, Tether transaction. Yes. Yeah.
2: But but it's good to point out that it only has one input and one output. So you're not even though there's there's you know, only one thousand of the one million dollars went to me, on the Bitcoin blockchain you will you will have one yeah, one input, one output, both owned by USD tether, and then another output that was already mine, it was already on the blockchain, that's where the the one thousand
3: dollars go. So And I guess that means you could piggyback so if you have to send money to an exchange anyway, well, I, I don't think you can tweak that. Then, well, then at least your input isn't duplicated, but you would have two outputs: one that goes to the exchange, and one that goes back to you, which actually has some meaning in the uh, in the RGB protocol. Uh, either way, you you don't need a lot of data to do this. Yeah, yeah, very small transactions, and maybe you can go piggyback on your normal transactions. Yeah. Yeah, you can combine it with a Bitcoin transaction that you were going
2: to send anyway, and then also do an RGB transaction at the same time.
3: But there's more.
0: Can we do better? We can do better. Sure. Who's, who's going to explain how to do this better? Ruben, sure. I'm confused where we're going. We're, we're, we're <laughs> going to use a concept
3: from Ruben's little show. Oh? Called, uh, the lightning round. Uh-huh. So we're not do a lightning round. But yeah, we can ah. do better with lightning. At least in the example that we just talked about, because we talked about a fungible acid... So it doesn't matter which US Tether you have, it's the same. We previously talked about Rare Pepe, where it does matter what you have. So what we're going to talk about only works for the uh, fungible stuff.
0: Yeah, every USD Tether is interchangeable. You don't care which one you have. While when it comes to trading cards, you definitely care which one you have. So exactly. that's the that's difference.
3: And so that means that you can start basically creating lightning channels where the coins in the channels are these these special tokens Though I'm a little vague on how exactly that works.
0: Well, so right. that's, so to be clear, that only applies to the fungible version, the, the yes. tether example we gave or the right. gold example we gave previously.
3: But the awesome thing the- about that, of course, is that it means that if you somehow get these, these lightning channels to work with these colored tokens in it, we can start sending very small amounts of dollars back and forth indefinitely. And only when the channel needs to be closed, we create this... like. Bitcoin transaction and send all the proofs that are needed just for that so it means that the metadata you need to keep isn't isn't growing too quickly either
0: Ruben RGB tokens on Lightning do you see it happening
2: yeah so so the way I look at Lightning is that it's it works for every blockchain at least as long as they support you know they have time lock and maybe some kind of hash lock or point locks what are they called very basic Mm.
0: smart contracting tools so
2: so I think it it doesn't really matter what blockchain, what kind of blockchain you have. I think sooner or later, especially when scaling becomes an issue, you have to start using Lightning. And RGB is kind of made, so I would say it works for every, every chain, it works for every kind of system, but in this case, RGB is made very specifically to start working with Lightning as soon as possible. So they're really, they're trying to make it happen right from the get-go. So specific to NFTs, you can have them in a Lightning channel, so you know maybe like Shores and I, we can open a Lightning channel, but then we can only send the NFT to each other, basically. So it,
0: it, there's so it's more there's, like a regular payment channel then, not, yeah, not it, a Lightning. Exactly. But so then how
3: would you have collateral of the same NFT, or you would split it then, or? So,
2: well, there would be one NFT and it would be with me. And then every time we update the channel, I can then give the NFT to you and then you can give the NFT back to me and we can go back and forth, but there will never be, you cannot do the, the hops, right? With Lightning, the whole point is that multiple people have channels and they can kind of send from one person's channel to another person's channel because, you know, like Alice and Bob have a channel, Bob and Carol have a channel. So then if Alice sends an NFT to Bob, Bob can not send the same NFT to Carol, because it's a different channel and the nft doesn't exist in the other channel
3: of course you could tokenize the nft so then the nft itself would be divided in like a thousand sub-units. <laughs> and then whoever owns the majority of the subunits is actually in charge of the nft but yes. people can trade you know sub nfts but let's yeah you're, <laughs> you're-
0: <laughs> unnecessarily complicating things now <laughs> It's just inventing a new currency based on a single NFT. A great business proposal. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a concrete question about this because yep. okay, let's keep focused on the fungible RGB tokens yes. because these can be used in Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. So would that in that case mean that all of the hops need to ex- actually also accept this fungible token as? a fee to forward the payment?
3: In other words, do you need a colored Lightning network, yeah. like a completely separate right. network just right. for those colored Right.
2: Yeah. So the answer is yes and no. At the very least, you need the incoming, like the, the the first hop needs to have the token and the last hop needs to have the token. But then all the intermediary hops, they don't necessarily, like they, you, can, you can swap while doing, while inside of a Lightning channel. So you could have, use the tether, to Bitcoin, uh, and then another hop that st- remains Bitcoin, and then the final hop is Bitcoin to use the Tether again, and, and in, in that way you could kind of lean on top of the existing Lightning network, but you would still need these inpoints and output outpoints, and you would still need these swaps to yes. take place. People so that you accept think the swap.
3: Bitcoin Lightning is complicated, and you think atomic yeah. swaps are complicated. Well, you can do both and have something really complicated, <laughs> but then yeah. you could send indeed send um, U.S. dollar values across the world. Uh, instantly. Well, yeah. even if you, not everybody you s- supports it. You
0: say you can, but th- then there's sort of the other problem where. Hops on the network and decide not to forward and see what the exchange rate does in the yes. meantime. Yeah, exactly. And based on that, then big, end up forwarding kind of or works. not. Or yeah. yeah, so
2: specifically there, I think ZMN, SCP, XJ, or something along those lines. We call him Zeman. Zeman, yeah. <laughs> Very Dutch. <laughs> Zeman, yeah. Yeah, he put something on the mailing list saying, you basically have the American call option problem where you can either forward the payment or you can kind of wait and see what happens. So the final person who is supposed to receive the payments can either accept it or they can wait. And then they can see if the price goes up or the price goes down. And based on that, they can decide whether or not they accept the payments. So because of that, it is actually sort of like problematic to do these atomic swaps between different currencies on on the Lightning Network currently.
3: Which which is a problem in general, right? So the idea has been around to have a Lightning Network of Bitcoin that could be connected to a lightning network-ish on Ethereum. Yeah. And you could just instantly swap between all these currencies. Yeah. But there are these kind of problems yeah. there.
0: Yeah. Then one other problem I think is that unless miners are actually going to accept these fungible tokens f- in order to settle transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, which sounds like a stretch, they still need to have Bitcoin in The lightning transactions that are using RGB and you need the fees for that. Yeah. It gets very complicated very fast.
3: Yeah. And I'm also wondering what the incentive structure are for like accepting, you know, you have these cheat transactions and then you want to punish them. And if the monetary incentives are, if the monetary incentives in Bitcoin are not correct because most of the value is actually represented by a token which has its own exchange rate, I don't know what happens. This is where it's really (laughs) fake on the details. Sorry about that. Yeah,
2: it's got to be a little difficult. But, uh, you know, I I don't think necessarily, at least the, the thing that Aaron was saying, you can actually have a lightning channel for Bitcoin, which I would assume, you know, even if you were an RGB user and you wanted to use it on lightning, you would also want to use Bitcoin on lightning. That seems like a safe assumption. So you could use the same UTXL for that. So you could have a channel that you're using to send Bitcoins back and forth. And then you can also put RGB tokens inside of it and do the same thing at the same time with a single channel. But then
3: it'd be kind of like a collateral, but then how do you make sure that, you know, I don't end up with just five Satoshis in the channel, so I have every incentive to cheat, but there's this huge value of colored coins in it. Yeah. so somehow you do need yeah. to compare the real value that's at stake in bitcoin versus this tokenized value so i think this gets pretty complicated mm. i don't know if we want to yeah yeah i'm, I'm too, not sure about that too yeah. many
0: worms <laughs> for <laughs> now Let, let's move on to Fair point. more worms <laughs> delicious <laughs> there were more problems i think Shorts.
3: i think ruben had uh, one final oh, problem yeah that's about it
0: yeah what we were saying earlier about the use tether to, if, to be clear, we're not talking about lightning anymore. We're just talking yes. about yeah, RGB. Yeah. We're back to basic RGB. We're back to basic And RGB. there's a problem with yeah. it. So even for the
2: lightning network, right? Like you still need to use the base layer. And that's something that people shouldn't forget. You can't just be saying like, okay, well, because we can go on lightning, it doesn't really matter how expensive the base layer is. You always need to have these base layer transactions first. Lots of people need to have use the tether, then they have to create channels with USD tether, and then you can start using the Lightning Network. And even then, channels have to close and reopen and rebalance, et cetera. So you're still using the base layer. Okay, so, so the issue, or the first issue would be simply if the token moved many times, you have to show the entire history to the person you are sending your coins to. So at some point, you know, maybe first it's like one megabyte, two megabytes, three megabytes. Okay, fine. But after a while, it becomes hundreds of megabytes or maybe
3: even a gigabyte. And what's worse is that... Because because we did talk about like how you only have to share the relevant part. So I only need to see how my money originated from from the source, but I don't have to see the entire tree. That saves a whole bunch of data. But even then, if the money is passed around 100,000 times, I I need all those 100,000 transactions to see where it's coming from.
2: Yeah, the data does keep growing regardless. And there is sort of an intermediate solution to that, depending on what kind of token you have. You could give back the USD Tether to the USD Tether company, and then they could reissue a new token uh, with a history that's completely clean again. But that works only in the example of tether, where there's sort of an IOU system. If you have some, you know, I'm not sure what kind of token this would be, but if there's some kind of token that is issued once and then never issued again, uh, then you can't do that. But problem is that the history of the tokens actually becomes intertwined. So if I have one USD, uh, USDT, and let's say uh, Shores has one USDT, and we both send these to, to you, Aaron, then the, the history of, of both these coins becomes connected. So the, the proof for your two dollars is both our histories. Now after that, if you want to split them up again, and now you send you know one dollar to one of your friends and one dollar to another one of your friends, the history doesn't become unconnected again. The history stays connected. So they have to, each each of them has to check the history. Of both Shores coin and my coin, so this is basically you know another way of saying this would be if you have a Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain, you can't actually go back and figure out exactly which in inside of which Bitcoin block that Bitcoin originated because the history is connected, and so because of that, what you end up with is you might have to download a significant chunk of everybody's history instead of these these paths. That in you know, the ideal case, what so, uh, so you're suspension. saying
3: is the spaghetti strain gets longer and longer, and you get more and more spaghetti strains as money is being combined.
0: So yeah. you end up
3: with a ton of spaghetti, which is yeah. cool for an Italian project. <laughs> I, th- I think that's all we got, right?
0: That's right. Well, I want to ask you guys why, do we want this on Bitcoin? Because it sounds like we don't have a choice. It's just a whole bunch of data.
3: Well, it's, it's mostly data that exists outside of Bitcoin that we don't care about.
0: Yeah, well, it still requires transactions on the blockchain at least.
3: Yeah, yeah, but who can stop that? Because they look like regular transactions, so it doesn't yeah. matter what we want. We, yeah. can't, we can't stop it.
0: Yeah,
2: so it's kind of like if we could like maybe, like let's say if you had the option to very easily add native tokens to Bitcoin, where you could issue assets and you could just use them on the Bitcoin blockchain. If you did something like that, in, in terms of blockchain usage, it would be very similar, right? Because with RGB, you have kind of the same thing where every time you move a token, you do need to create a Bitcoin transaction. But that Bitcoin transaction doesn't really have anything to do with Bitcoin, other than that it wants to kind of connect to it, to to be connected to its proof of work. So would we want that? Would we want people to just issue any token they want just natively on Bitcoin? And then most people would kind of say no. So RGB kind of forces that, the issue basically, and says like, well, you can just do it <laughs> if you do it like this. So do we want that? Do we not want that? I don't think it's going to be terrible. I think it's going to be okay. And you know, like I don't think there's going to be some kind of token that is so popular that it will pull away most of the proof of work or something along those lines. that would be kind of you know the doomsday scenario.
3: yeah, the the risk there is we talked about that in other episodes yeah. about side chains as well if If there is, say, the entire world supply of gold is expressed as an RGB token, that's a problem because the market cap of gold is, you know, 10 times that of Bitcoin at the moment. Right. Which means that somebody who wants to steal gold through a double spend attack, you know, might want to do that. And from a Bitcoin point of view, that attack would look uneconomical. But from a gold point of view, it would look economical. And therefore, it just messes with the incentive structure that we have. Yeah. But uh, we're not there yet. And I'm not really worried about it. But. Yeah,
2: exactly. I'm actually, I think the opposite problem is more likely where Bitcoin, the fees are going to go up. And at that point, you have to, if you want to use USD Tether, you have to pay the Bitcoin fees to use your USD Tether. And then you have to ask, well, if I can use my USD Tether on any chain, why would I use it on the expensive Bitcoin blockchain? So I think that's that kind of becomes the uh, bottleneck for RGB, where any token you want to move on RGB, at least without using Lightning. And, and as I pointed out earlier, at the very least, you will have to use the, the base layer every now and then will have to pay as high of a fee as Bitcoin transaction. And whether or not that's going to be economical, I don't know.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know, if you're doing client-side validation anyway, maybe you just want to use a database, but... Is-
2: <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. And yeah, so so specific, you know, the, the space chains, yeah, it wasn't called space chains back then, but the uh, episode we did on the perpetual one-way peg and Black Merge mining, it is actually a very similar system, right? So you could compare the two, but the difference is that you are less connected to the proof-of-work right instead of having one every every RGB transaction you make you need to make a Bitcoin transaction you now have one Bitcoin transaction that represents an entire block of of tokens basically so that would at least make it cheaper to do tokens but at the same time you're also I guess less secure because you don't have the, the full proof of
0: work kind of, it's not directly connected, it's a little bit more indirect. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, short, I have one last question. Okay. Did, did you want to get into the proof marshal thing or no, are we, we going to leave we, that for a different episode?
3: Exactly, we have another kind of work that's <laughs> called proof marshals, we yeah. are not going to open that.
0: Okay, do you want to end on a positive note?
3: I want to end on saying thank you everybody for listening to the Van weirdom Shores NATO.
0: There you go. There you go.